0: Technology is just getting more and more integrated and we just lack an an etiquette to properly use it, but that's just because it's so new.
1: Yeah, it's like we have the, the power of gods, but not the wisdom.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to the Feedback Loop, where we keep you up to date on the latest technological trends and how they're impacting the transformation of consciousness and culture. From the individual to society at large. I'm your host, Stephen Parton, coming at you from Singularity University. This week we have Mike Gilliland and Yuvi Ivanova, two absolutely wonderful human beings that you may know from their very well-renowned podcast, The Future Thinkers, where they discuss many topics that echo our focus here on the Feedback Loop. Now, I first came across this pair in the early years of their podcast when they were digital nomads wandering through Southeast Asia. And while our shared interest in technology and consciousness is what originally attracted me to them, it was their deep objectivity, their keen insights, and their emotional maturity that convinced me that these were two people whose ideas I wanted to follow. They're curious, authentic, and kind, and those are personality traits that allow us to explore topics in ways that I think many are otherwise hesitant to engage with. For us and for this episode, that meant delving into the rough waters of tribalism and echo chambers, into consciousness hacking and sovereignty, into ways you can challenge your mental frameworks, the ways you can push through fear, and how you can create a better relationship with your technology. I felt lucky for the opportunity to pick their brains and see where they've arrived at this stage in their personal evolution, so I hope you'll enjoy the clarity of thought they bring to these often muddy topics. I also just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of you who are sending in your feedback and your recommendations for guests. It's truly wonderful to have this opportunity to build something with all of you passionate individuals. So as always, if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to keep hearing content from us, please give us a rating, share us on your social media, or just send us a message with your feedback and recommendations to singularityradio at su.org. Alrighty then, I think that's enough from me. So let's go ahead and get to it, everyone. Please welcome the Future Thinkers, Mike Gilliland and UV Ivanova. Thank you, Mike and UV, for joining us. Uh, and what I would love to start out with is just hearing a little bit about both of your backgrounds for people who might not be familiar with. Your trajectory from Vancouver to digital nomadism to, you know, your work now and kind of what put you on this path and what you're passionate about.
0: Sure. You want to take
2: it or me?
1: You start.
0: Sure. So, um, you know, both of us have been kind of weird artsy people for a lot of years. Um, studied, UV studied psychology. I studied, um, uh, audio production and music. And, um, so we read that book, the four hour work week and decided we wanted to be able to travel and Have a business and you know earn passive income and all that kind of stuff so it started off very almost selfish uh or just really about trying to get freedom so we ended up succeeding in doing that we started a web design business and bought one-way tickets to thailand uh what we didn't expect from that was that we would get a lot of extra time that we never had living in vancouver where the the rent prices and cost of living was so high we had to be working 40 hours a week there in thailand we had to be working maybe 10. So um, what we did was fill a lot of time with conversation and book reading and meditation. And that really kind of different set of experiences is what I think separated us um, quite a few years back. And since then, we just started recording those conversations and and kind of the direction of future thinkers really evolved from that.
1: I think, yeah, that, <clears throat> that was definitely a catalyst. But as far as our interests go, it goes back a lot further. Um, both of us were interested in introspection and kind of figuring out how the world works and how everything is connected from a very early age. And we were both avid readers and, um, had a contemplative practice even before we learned how to meditate. So that goes way, way back. I think that, um, becoming digital nomads just kind of gave us the space, uh, to think about those things in a more formal way, rather than just having it as a hobby and eventually in 2013, I think, we recorded our first podcast episode. Um, At the time, all of our digital nomad friends were starting podcasts, but they were all business-focused, and we thought, well, why not start a podcast about something that we're actually passionate about that has nothing to do with business, and we just started recording our conversations because we were having interesting conversations every day anyway, so we thought we'd just put it out there and see how people react to it, and it went from there and then we started having guests on the show and uh, then we started doing video and it evolved
2: one of the things that i think excited me most about talking to the two of you is just how deeply you do tie in the self-growth and technology together in what you do Uh, do you think a lot of that impetus for that kind of mindset came from travel was that as you mentioned that was a background that you had before. I, I believe UV, you had a background in psychology. Yes. Uh, and Mike, digital storytelling, which I think has a lot to do with psychology when you're thinking about kind of how to tell a story and how people respond to stories. How did that, I guess, shift for the two of you as you realized you could use technology to kind of liberate yourself and start gaining this extra time to, I guess, self-actualize?
0: Well, I was always very technical. Um, <clears throat> it It didn't really go th- there wasn't this big transformational process like i was you know taking apart computers when i was a little kid so the technical aspect just is something i've always been into um, just figuring out that i could you know meet people online have a business online uh, you know completely be interacting with my team and my clients online that was really the the thing that was a step in, uh, in towards freedom and in changing our lives
1: Yeah, for me, I just um, started becoming interested in the internet um, as soon as I could get my hands on it. Like when I I grew up in Russia, and we didn't have internet in my town. So every time I went to my dad's work, I would hijack the computer and would just go in the internet for that half hour and look at websites and go to go into chat groups and that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just always had an interest in, in communication technologies.
0: I think what's really interesting to us and why part of the podcast is actually about technology is how can it be applied to change the world? Um, But in recent years, we've really leaned more towards sort of a consciousness hacking or societal level kind of uh, focus and shift and away from technology because you know, we are entering into this age where existential technologies are starting to to increase in their availability and their destructive capability, and the people wielding them aren't necessarily ready to be taking on that kind of power. So um that's really been the reason for the change in focus.
1: Yeah, it's like we have the, the power of gods, but not the wisdom of gods yeah. at all.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it as seems as that's one of the more common problems these days is that we're leveling up our technology without leveling up our humanity so much. So we're kind of imbuing into technology this more maybe immature mindset in a lot of ways. Um, One thing that interests me about that, I guess, is your take on the trajectory that that is going. So, you know, the fact that you guys were able to do this digital nomad lifestyle is something that obviously requires the digital side of things. You know, technology kind of liberated you guys to do this in a way that probably would have been inconceivable 20 years ago for a lot of people um, to kind of keep this community and still be so nomadic uh, and cultivate, you know, community like future thinkers. So do you do you see an end game where where this is going? Do you think this is uh, do you think this is a kind of lifestyle that's going to become more of a norm for a lot of people is going to be good for people's consciousness? Does it give us too much freedom? Does it you know, where where does this go in your minds?
0: I think it just enables connection globally. One thing it does do is create echo chambers, so that that's a bit of a dangerous thing. You kind of surround yourself with people who share the same ideas, and when you do that online, it's really easy to do. But for us, um, you know, there, we've had guests on the show before that that really didn't like the idea of only connecting online, and and um, you know, the, Douglas Rushkoff was saying how much he misses being able to see the whites of each other's eyes and how, you, how difficult it is to connect over you know video chat and this kind of thing. And I, I actually really disagree with that. We've had amazing connections, amazing group calls. Um, you know, A lot of our social group has been built just through digital. And I mean, we, in our group, uh, we have got a group call that we do every Thursday and people have cried. Um, people have been like meditating together. Uh, going through really difficult uh, sort of traumatic experiences and kind of sharing that with a group and trying to get help for it. There's all kinds of subject matter that gets discussed and no one feels limited by the medium. So I think that's quite, uh, I don't know. I think technology is just getting more and more integrated and we just lack an, an etiquette to properly use it. But that's just because it's so new. We're sort of in the adolescent phase of using technology.
1: Yeah, and I think that the new generations who are born into it will probably figure out how to use it a lot more wisely. Because, you know, in our generation, we grew up without technology and then got it at some point. And so it was always kind of this awkward phase of using it. But maybe for people in the future, uh, it won't be so difficult. And they'll just figure out intuitively.
2: You mentioned something I really like there, which is kind of the echo chamber uh, aspect of this, one of the things I noticed listening to a lot of your podcast and, and hearing the two of you talk is that you're really interested in the ideas of scripts and narratives, kind of probably more than anything, how to get away from scripts and narratives that kind of pigeonhole us into certain standardized lifestyles. The question is, if the future of the Internet takes us to this this place where we do have a lot of these echo chambers and we have people growing up who can only see their options being one of these echo chambers, do we run the risk of people kind of being pushed into those tribal groups online and not really self-actualizing or individualizing as much as they just start trying to curate themselves to get the validation from their online community?
1: It's already happening. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I think tribalism is something that Um,
0: is being talked about a lot right now. Uh, We talk about about it on our podcast. We've got a course that directly addresses a lot of issues to do with tribalism. Um, I think the fact that it's kind of moving towards the spotlight is a good sign. Um, People recognize that these meme tribes, these groups of people uh, with kind of one ideology, um, it's it doesn't lead us anywhere to collectivism or making group decisions for the benefit of the world. It kind of separates us and and pushes us into the corners of the world. And I think that um, just the fact that it's becoming easier to see that and more often part of the conversation, I think it will start to reverse the trend for that will reverse over time. I don't think it'll get worse.
1: As far as tribalism itself, um, it gets a bad name but I think it's because of how it has manifested itself, uh, especially in the technological age. But we are tribal apes. There's nothing we can do about that. We can't transcend that. We can't evolve out of that anytime soon. So instead of trying to demonize tribalism as something horrible that we have to wipe off the face of the earth, I think we need to integrate it we need to accept it. And this is something that we talk about quite a lot in this course, integrating our shadow. Like all the different aspects of being human that we really love to pretend that don't exist, anything unsavory, we, we shouldn't be repressing them because that causes more problems. We should be integrating them. We should be realizing that, yes, it's in us. So now with that knowledge, how do we operate from that? And how do we create systems that don't pretend those things don't exist or punish them because that's just a part of being human.
2: Do you think we can use technology as a mirror to kind of accelerate that process?
0: I think technology gets a bad rap for, for kind of dehumanizing us, but I think it does its job best when it's just out of the way, when it's just in the background. And so that, that's as much as I think technology is a pain in the ass right now um, for when it interrupts us, when it's clump clunky, when it hijacks our attention. Um, but when it's used as a background tool to kind of aid being human, um, yeah, then I would say it's, it's a lot more functional. So there are a lot of things that we need to do as individuals and as society to actually improve how we um, act and, and be in the world. And technology can potentially help that, like you know, meditation apps, for example, um, but a lot of the work is just offline work. So yeah, I don't, I, I'm not a huge proponent of technology helping us uh, in a global shift. It's just a tool. It just reflects whatever we are.
1: Yeah. I think ultimately that decision and that discipline and that will has to be inter- internal, um, to, to discover what you are, to investigate, to integrate all of that stuff, to, you know, develop the attentional tools that you can only develop through meditation. And I think there their technology can be used to assist, but not to do the job. And that's where people really get confused.
0: In the state that it's in now, it's I find it to be more of a problem than a help. Like we're we're now trying to establish a rule in our house of no screens after nine o'clock, shut the Wi-Fi off, you know. And that's really difficult, right? Uh but it's it's because the work that needs to be done, like the meditation or real human conversations or just c- that connecting kind of thing is so difficult to do when, when the screens are on. So
2: Yeah, I think it's easy to get caught in the process of maybe researching and trying to learn and not actually taking those lessons and implementing them. I know for me, it's it's really easy to just get addicted to reading too many Wikipedia pages or books or things about what I want to do and then not actually doing those things because I'm so excited to keep learning about it. So I feel that that's a problem for sure.
1: Uh- that's huge actually, we really noticed that for, um, we, we just released our first two courses and uh, the first group just finished. And um, that was one of the biggest problems that we noticed that people just want to learn something intellectually, but when it comes to applying it, it's very difficult. And there's always some sort of internal resistance to them actually getting into the habit of doing something every day, like meditating or introspection or whatever.
2: Have you found any practices to help people break down those walls so far? I know for me personally, one of the ways I've been trying to challenge that is changing my surroundings, trying to acknowledge you know, that, as you said, I, I'm ultimately an ape and that I'm going to respond to the stimulus in my environment. And so I've tried to make sure that my environment kind of pushes me in directions that I want to go um but with doing your course online how do you kind of help people push through that when you can't really be there to hold their hands through it
1: group support yeah when people feel like they're part of a group um they start feeling accountable because they know that you know every week they're going to meet others on the call or even if they're just in chat um that other people are doing the same work so they feel like they can't let others down and that helps You know, that's where tribalism is useful.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that oxy about oxytocin being the cuddle hormone and making you bond with people, but it's also what pushes us apart and makes us, you know, be more xenophobic. So I like that idea of tribalism for good rather than for, you know, evil. (laughs) Would you guys like to talk more about that course? I'd love to hear more about why this course is something that you feel it's time to put out into the world and. Kind of what your intentions are with with doing this course i think it's the course on personal evolution yes
1: yeah we um actually it kind of came about because people have been suggesting us to us to do courses and we we brainstormed uh what would be the best kind of direction to go because we've studied and tried so many different things throughout the years and um we actually just polled our audience and gave them a couple of options of areas that they'd like to learn about, and then identified one that seemed to have gravity, and then designed a course around that. Um, But actually, the course ended up being a lot more deep um, than just the original topic that we selected, because, well, (laughs) a lot of things are connected to each other, right? Like once you start going down one rabbit hole, then you, oh, well, then we have to address this, and this, and this, and this and uh, it ended up being focused around sovereignty and shadow integration so um, it's basically a parallel of of the work that we've done um, over the years to to try to gain cognitive sovereignty and and sovereignty in our lives as well and doing all this introspection and integrating all those kind of animal or unsavory (laughs) parts of the consciousness Um, and the reason why we think that this particular course needs to be out there is because I think that kind of internal work comes first. None of the solutions that are out there. Okay, let me start that sentence again. So the reason why a lot of the solutions that are out there right now or that are being proposed are not working is because they're not in line with our nature. And I think understanding our nature deeply comes first before we can design any solution that's actually going to work.
2: Yeah, you touched on something there which is one of perhaps my favorite topics in the world which is shadow work and Jungian psychology in that regard um that gets us into a whole little wormhole that i'm actually going to be happy to go down with you um what i would love to hear a little bit is maybe how you feel the shadow is being affected by technology right now by modern society and and, and maybe you could even explain a little bit about the shadow for people who aren't familiar with it and and just kind of maybe how you approach it in terms of helping people integrate it and accepting maybe the darker parts of themselves so that they can be integrated into a more whole person.
0: The shadow is basically whatever you're afraid to look at. So it could be, you know, repressed trauma. It could be um, emotions that you don't want to let out for men. A lot of the time it's aggression and anger. Um, I myself has felt, have felt that before anytime anyone's ever asked me to kind of look at that. I'm like, no, it's too explosive. We're not looking at that. I'm looking at something else like, you know, I bleach on YouTube or something. Um, but actually, uh, diving deep and kind of leaning into those difficult emotions and, and doing a meditation practice where you actually sit there and focus on, on really difficult emotions, uh, sort of visualize traumatic events that could happen in the future or that have, have happened in the past. Um, something comes with that, which is acceptance and an ability to deal to stretch your ability to deal with difficult things in the future. So you become more resilient by doing this kind of uh, deep emotional meditation practice. Um, and what you said about integration is very important as well. There are evolved reasons for the, the ways, for, for the things that we do that we consider socially evil. There are evolved reasons for psychopaths to exist within a tribe. Uh, There are evolved reasons for people to be violent or aggressive, Um, a lot of these different things that are kind of shunned in in this new age, Um, how could you say, almost social justice warrior culture that we find ourselves in, where male aggression is really kind of frowned upon. And so that's the shadow side. As far as the sovereignty side, this is another aspect that where Yuvi and I reflect on this all the time. We get into these very meta conversations. If we get into a dis- disagreement with one another about some topic, we always kind of abstract a level up and ask ourselves, how do we get here? What is, the, what is the path that led us here? Uh, where are we misunderstanding each other? And there's, sovereignty can be divided into three areas. Uh, perception. So what senses am I taking in from you, your body language, whatever, the words that you're saying? How does that, those words and those sentences fit into an internal framework called sense making? How, w- how do I make sense of what you're saying? Am I applying it against past memories or past traumas? Or am I listening to it with a clear head and trying to pick apart just logically what it is that you you intend to say, am I occupying your position, um, trying to understand why you would say something. And then the last one is agency, which is simply what, what do you decide to do about the situation? Or not do yeah
1: it also has to do with regulating your own reactions and emotions and taking responsibility for your actions instead of just acting unconsciously
2: you found a challenge with pushing people into you know taking ownership of their own sovereignty and going into the shadow realm and, and doing that work has that been particularly difficult just because we're, we're kind of living in this time period right now where I think we, we tend to shy away from conflict and and from challenges and you know, novelty actually scares us more than lifts us up and inspires us.
0: Yeah, that's totally true. And one of the worst things that I I keep hearing over and over again is this like sort of uh, follow your heart, love spiritual movement. Like it's really in a lot of ways, it just avoids any difficult emotions. And then so you just kind of box yourself into this corner of like, I'm supposed to feel good. I'm supposed to feel good. And you, you never actually do because that's not the full expression of being human. So people don't realize that there's a lot that goes along with being human. And if you avoid that, if you just try and be operate from the heart and be love and light and all of this stuff, you actually are just kind of uh, repressing.
1: And then all that stuff ends up coming out in really ugly ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like fully. yeah. when
1: you see these kinds of love and light types um, and then they're just, You know,
0: (laughs) do one thing to piss them off, figure out what pisses them off the most and watch a bomb go off. And it shouldn't be like that. You know, Mm -hmm. people who have dealt with stress or dealt with very difficult conflicting sort of conflict sort of states, maybe from family, um, end up being the
2: calmest kind of people in a disagreement or a a fight. (laughs) Yeah, you're getting a lot of uh, shadow projection, as they say there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Shadow projection. Actually interesting because there's the the one side of it is where you're repressing all the things that you perceive as negative but then there's the other side of it where you end up repressing a lot of positive things as well because it just all gets thrown into the same bucket and a lot of these emotions are linked like we're a, a human is a complex system of a lot of different things and when you when you don't allow yourself to express emotions fully, you end up not being able to ex- express other emotions. Like, you know, if you can never allow yourself to feel rage, then you just end up being lethargic. Like you never feel truly energized or joyous. Yeah. These things are all linked, you know, it's like, because a lot of the time, the way that we label emotions in our mind is really cultural. And if you go, go actually and study different cultures, you'll realize that they label or understand emotions very differently. So um, I found this framework really useful, actually. It's just basically just four four kind of, uh, it's a four, mm, how would you say it? Uh, Four-point emotional compass. So uh, are you physiologically aroused or are you physiologically depressed? So like high energy or low energy and then positive or negative. So for example, if you're enraged, it's high energy and and negative.
0: Active and passive. Yeah, right.
1: Active and passive. Yeah. Or if you're depressed, then you're low energy and negative.
0: Yeah, and passive.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's the same thing. Like, if if you repress rage, then you won't be able to feel other active emotions like joy or excitement or creativity.
2: How how do you how do you pull against that when? We get congratulated online for kind of projecting our shadows into the shadow realm and maybe having that actually be like our digital second self that we use to interface with the world. By that, I mean, you you want that validation and that sense of like belonging. But if you do something that is kind of a part of your self-actualization like Joseph Campbell's big thing is if you go into the, if you want to self-actualize, you have to go into the dark forest of the unknown alone and it's going to be terrible because you have to be alone. You have to accept the fact that you're going to be in one of the worst states a human can be in, which is like feeling like there's nobody there in the world to support you. How do you do that in a, in a world where you can actually see how alone you are by the number of likes and friends and all of this stuff? that is eternalized in this digital medium that you can't really get away from?
0: Well, you know, another thing we talk about quite a bit is about deconstructing your own identity, figuring out what is you and what is programming, cultural baggage, the way mommy and daddy neglected you, all of this stuff. Like, What is you at the heart and separate that? And one thing that that process leads you into is understanding why you do things what those motivations come from how are they based in evolution so that you can be aware of them and usually through a, a, a certain degree of awareness of why you behave you can stop that behavior at least have a better control over it so one of those things is validation um, in a tribal society validation was very very important because without all of our technology and agriculture and the ability to have every individual's needs met. If you were cast out from a tribe, it almost certainly meant death for you. So we have this sort of over generations, millennia, um, this programmed need to be belonging into a group because it was so tied to our survival. Now it's not necessarily true. You can piss off massive groups of people online if you choose to and get a lot of hate and still go have a, Nice hearty lunch. So there's no um, there's no real connection anymore of our survival in the social group. There there will be a feeling of like you you will feel bad. But so understanding why you would behave in a certain way just to collect likes generally will kind of uh, get that behavior under control. And you might find that actually any behavior involved in social media and, and signaling and attention seeking is actually just detrimental to everyone's health. So you might stop engaging in that kind of stuff altogether, which I have.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the easiest way to do that is just to go cold Turkey for a while. Um, because, uh, we, you know, we love to tell ourselves stories about why we do things and we love to justify our behavior with some sort of noble pursuit. Um, but then sometimes just removing yourself from it altogether is the easiest way to see how all of that is just a load of crap and stories that you're telling yourself. So, um, we talk a- quite a bit about um, rites of passage and how uh, that's an essential part of growing up and transforming, uh, which is something that most young people never go through today. And an essential part of a rite of passage is that exact thing that you're talking about going into the woods alone alone underlined (laughs) success is not guaranteed you have to do something extremely challenging Uh, and you know in the past and tribal days this would often be something that could produce your death for example you had to fight some specific wild animal hunt it and bring it to the tribe or you had to go to war for the first time or you know you had to spend three nights alone in the wilderness in a cave somewhere with wild animals all around you Um, so it has to be that equivalent of scary in order to be effective and yeah just being completely isolated from that social validation definitely does the trick
2: do you think for the two of you that kind of came from going to southeast asia and, and being in a culture that didn't really validate you as much because it was such a different kind of lifestyle. I would say I was
0: already really thinking that stuff. I I already thought attention seeking validation behavior was ugly and I didn't want to engage in it being in Southeast Asia and then being broke many times in Southeast Asia where like we weren't sure how rent for our, our cheap little apartment was going to be, you know, made next month. Um, you know, cause running a business, like if, if, if a client randomly quits, which happened to us a few times, um, all of a sudden all your income's gone and you're in a foreign country and it's like, you, you you can't just go get a job. (laughs) You have to make the business work. So that kind of, that fear and pressure has happened many times in Southeast Asia. And I think that was definitely helpful to be able to be resilient and deal with stress.
1: Yeah, for me, um, being separated from a culture that validated me in very specific ways was extremely useful because um, although I wasn't subscribing to kind of the mainstream ideas of what I was supposed to be doing because I was this weird artsy person, but, um, you know, being nonconformist is its own form of conformity, um, which became very evident to me after leaving that subculture and going to Southeast Asia where none of that stuff was rewarded whatsoever. Like, I I just stuck out like a sore thumb, no matter what I wore or said, because I was white. (laughs) So, yeah, it was very helpful.
2: Do you think there's ways for people to kind of tap into that, who maybe don't have the money to travel to a new culture, kind of have that, you know, somebody once told me, and I thought it was quite brilliant, the only way to unravel is to trip or to travel. The idea, obviously, being that you have to have some kind of (laughs) I love, yeah, that. right. Yes, that was from a vagabond yeah. uh, on one of my travels. Not uh, unsurprisingly, but it would that that notion kind of f- for a lot of people that access to psychedelics or access to a uh, you know trip to another country is not something they really feel comfortable with or maybe can afford or really even know how to go about doing. So for people who maybe lack that, do you, what kind of you know guidance would you propose? Well,
0: you, the idea is you're doing something that scares you or that you're afraid of. And most people are afraid of being out of control, especially when it comes to their minds. So I, anyone I've talked to about psychedelics who doesn't, um, have any experience with it. That's exactly the same thing every time that they say, uh, I don't want to lose control. I don't want to get stuck there. Um, that's really what you're going for. And I subscribe to the idea that, um, one of the best ways to experience psychedelics is what Terrence McKenna said, take you know, six grams of mushrooms in a dark room, close your eyes and sit there. And if you've ever taken ayahuasca, you know that the shaman, if you're speaking with a shaman and, and kind of preparing for the experience, he will lay out several rules for you. Uh, you're not supposed to eat certain things for several weeks before. Um, you're supposed to have a, an intention before going into it. So you're, you're basically focusing on and meditating on that intention for several days or weeks. And when it comes up to it, you, you deal with that going straight into the ceremony and that generally flavors the entire experience. And sometimes actually, whatever you were focused on gets dealt with in like two minutes and then the rest of it's just some other thing that you didn't know you needed to deal with. But it's the same kind of approach that I would take into mushrooms. So just get, you know, mushrooms are actually, I think they're legal now in Denver, right? This just happened. So th- I, I'd be very surprised if that uh, wasn't gonna be a trend throughout the US in the next couple of years. So I, I imagine it becomes legal fairly quickly. So um, give it a try. I mean, take take a fairly large dose, maybe have a trip sitter, sit in, the, in a dark room and have an intention just like an ayahuasca Uh, What am I afraid of? What do I want to deal with? What do I want to improve about my life? And uh, you will make some progress. Might be terrifying progress,
2: but you will make progress. Yeah, you don't really ease into things there, do you? Kind of go straight for the the God dose. Yeah. (laughs) And the the other interesting thing about that actually
0: is once you start facing any type of fear like that, like the psychedelics or like the travel, you start realizing that actually there's not the consequences aren't so bad and the the terror that comes with that you come out of it at some point and then the next set of fears that you want to tackle aren't so bad and there's actually a path that you can go on where you are tackling these fears as a as a routine it's like oh there's there's something that i've got to tackle this week what is that and you know you might meditate you might take psych- psychedelics there's a number of different ways to deal with it, but it actually, over time, you start finding it easier and easier to do that. And things actually, it, it becomes harder to find things that you're afraid of. And that's a great state to be in. I mean, you can handle anything if you if you struggle to find things that you're afraid of. Yeah, it's kind of
2: like exposure therapy. Yeah, yeah for sure.
1: Totally, yeah. Um, I just wanted to add, I think meditation is an excellent tool Uh, the problem is that most people don't have the discipline to do it enough to actually get really significant changes. I mean, it's been proven that if you meditate, however many, seven or 10 minutes a day, every day, it still will have a positive effect. But if we're looking for something really transformational, you have to do a lot of meditation. And although I have done psychedelics as well, my most profound changes came from meditation, but I did really a lot, like hours a day for years. Um, and I understand that not everybody has the time or, or discipline for that, but if, if applied correctly, meditation is definitely, uh, you can do a lot with it.
2: Yeah. Kind of continuing on that. Um, one of the things i found really interesting in one of your previous episodes and something that I like to think about a lot is the fact that in a lot of ways, what our personal growth is building towards is this kind of more detached, uh, kind of rational, logical thinking where we're in a lot of ways, just less emotional, or at least we don't, you know, latch onto the emotions and ride with them. We can kind of sit back and observe them. In a lot of ways, that's kind of what people think about as artificial intelligence and and why they fear it. They think, you know, this machine's gonna be this cold, calculating thing. And it's interesting to me that, you know, artificial intelligence, psychopaths, and Buddhist monks can all kind of be put in the same category when you look at the highest level. Do you think there? What What do you think about that as a trajectory? There's a lot more.
0: There's a lot more subtlety involved in
2: the differences between
0: all of those groups. So I would say there's there's a degree of of allowing emotions to not affect your behavior in the immediate, but what you do with those emotions and, and how your behavior is affected later on is is completely different for those three groups. The Buddhists would probably choose to do nothing, no matter what comes in. Psychopaths are always going to be optimizing for their own benefit and artificial intelligence is well. no one knows what that's going to do So I won't even comment there, but there there are some similarities from the outside, but on the inside There's a completely different process happening.
1: Yeah, there's another aspect to it as well because uh, What you said is like in a way it assumes that rationality is linear So there's another concept concept called post-rationality or post-post-rationality even, which is non-linear or it combines linear thinking with non-linear thinking, right right brain, left brain. Um, And so currently all AI is linear. If at some point we have sophisticated enough quantum computers, then possibly we could tap into that non-linear thinking that humans are capable of. So then it will be something to actually you know consider as like equivalent of the kind of intelligence that we have but at at this point i think it's very primitive
0: this is going on the assumption though that you you believe consciousness is a quantum phenomenon which isn't proven and is hard to discuss in in a scientific manner but um the assumption that consciousness is mechanistic is something that i don't I don't have to believe, I don't choose to believe like it's, there's no evidence that it all just is a mechanistic deterministic process. So I don't, I'm not convinced. And I mean, any artificial intelligence programmer will probably agree with me on this. I, I don't think we have anything out there that even resembles consciousness. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really knows the beginning approaches to do that. So it's a, it's still a debate whether actual consciousness is ever going to be possible. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's some quantum phenomenon. Who knows? But.
2: Is that something you guys are excited about? Do you do you like the idea of the sentient machines? Do you, are you interested in integrating that technology with the human brain to, to maybe help personal evolution? Like if you can have an artificial intelligence that tells you, hey your cortisol and adrenaline are really high right now i probably wouldn't call your ex you know i probably <laughs> wouldn't have that conversation that you were thinking about having because you're not in a great state for it right now yeah um, would I'm, that be a benefit or does that kind of get in the way of the rom- romance of it all
0: I'm, I'm a bit more of a transhumanist than uv we always have a joke that one day she's just going to come home and i'm going to have a vat of liquid and feeding tubes going into a <laughs> into a vat and i'll be wearing a virtual and uh Virtual reality headset, and just <laughs> give up on life, going to the matrix, so it's yeah, I don't know, <laughs> it's funny, I think UV's more of the romantic in that sense, and I'm just like, well, if it helps increase the resolution of my experience of life, you know, uh better experience of touch, taste, smell, sight, um you know, once we get to the point where technology can improve on the human senses, then I might be in line to adopt some of that stuff um but as far as like manipulating how the brain works and how we perceive reality i don't think we know enough because it's not just about what scientists know about the brain it's what every individual knows about their own consciousness and i think most people if they're afraid to like take a psychedelic or do a meditation or go traveling um they're probably afraid to face a lot of things like face the shadow all of that stuff we've been talking about so Tinkering with um, your own perception and consciousness before you can even face just neutral, untampered with consciousness is pretty, uh, that that would be a pretty scary prospect to me.
1: Or people building, trying to build AI based on their very limited understanding of their own mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, any any income from that uh, I could see would be, or uh, outcome, sorry. I mean, um, it could produce addicts, psychopaths, um, emotionally unstable people, vegetables. Like there's not a lot of of positive human experience that I, I can really see coming out of tweaking the brain um, from the perspective of just a, a, an average person, like turning switches off and on. Yeah, I don't like, know.
1: I want to need... feel good all the time. Yeah. You realize what that's going to do to your body?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was Brave New World, wasn't it? <laughs> Soma. Yeah, so I think we have a lot of just analog work to do before that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. It goes back to that idea that you know, if we try to create solutions from the same mindset that created the problem, it's just not going to work.
2: So, what mindset shift do you think we need to move into? If we if we can kind of maybe take a lot of what we've been talking about so far and talk about what that mindset shift actually really looks like, what do you think that is? UV, do you think there's a particular challenge that we really need to overcome a particular script or narrative that's really holding us back from making that shift?
1: No, I think it's more categorical because I don't think it's possible to be prescriptive. Um, Like what the work is that each person needs to do is for them to discover and them only. So Mike, er earlier you said my view is a bit romantic. I would say that it's not romantic. My view is more like pagan shamanistic, where I just think that you are the authority on your life and your consciousness and only you can know what are the contents and you have to just point that awareness inside and discover everything that you need to know.
0: The problem is there's, there's so much mapped territory in what you can go through. Like one thing we've been talking about a lot lately is um, spiral dynamics, um, which is this theory of, of consciousness, developmental consciousness that Maps out where our societies are, where we are as individuals from birth to adulthood. I say that with air quotes because it's so it's defined in so many different ways, but I highly recommend you guys checking out spiral dynamics. One of the problems though, with that whole movement is that people tend to go into (laughs) spiral dynamics, looking at the top levels because it it is a hierarchy and thinking that's what I want to be. Oh, I understand what that's saying. I must be there. So you end up getting this problem of a lot of like fours thinking they're sevens. Um, basically, people want to be higher. So they, they convince themselves that they're higher. But I think it's a very useful tool just to understand the territory and the map um, and then begin to work towards moving up. And there are certain practices that you can use depending on what level you're at. So that's why I think UV also saying you can't be prescriptive because people are at different levels all the time. Like, do you think one that's a thing? Bit- oh, go ahead. Well, one thing that is happening now, like our society is at what is basically called green level. Like a lot of people are at orange and green, which is kind of, it's all tier one consciousness. It's this consciousness that's individualistic, um, looks out at the world and thinks every other level of consciousness is wrong. My level's the best. (laughs) Um, And this is something that I think a lot of people are transitioning out of into um, or trying to into tier two. But there's this long. This is so complicated to explain in such a short amount of time. So I just recommend you guys maybe check out some of our podcast episodes about this subject because we dive into it quite.
1: We actually haven't done a podcast episode about Uh, it. It's all in our course.
0: (laughs) Well, we will soon anyway. But um, essentially, there's there's two tiers of consciousness. Uh, There's one that's very self focused, individual focused. um, Believes everyone is you know in within that group is right um it's everyone kind of out choice. is wrong yeah yeah it's true and then tier 2 kind of integrates all of the previous tiers and it's very hard to get there and there's a period of nihilism and despair and oh my god the world's falling apart nothing works everyone's crazy and um there's just an end to that that's why i think the whole thing is so useful is cuz you recognize you know the gap of nihilism has an end and most most of us in the middle of that don't realize it they think that's the new world view that i have to have
2: now and life sucks it's kind of like the ego death or the dark night of the soul that you have to have before you can yeah have the new growth yeah you could relate it to that i think yeah
1: yeah there's i think there are certain aspects of what you know inspired dynamics they call second tier consciousness whether you use that framework or not there are certain aspects to this mindset shift that are identifiable and one of them is that you don't operate from a single framework You don't subscribe to a single view of the world. You're able to shift between all views and use all of them or have no view at all. And just like observe impartially without trying to construct some sort of meaning or construct some sort of map of what it all like, you know, without trying to kind of grasp it and solidify it.
0: So in practicality, it would be like, you know, leftists having a very productive and and calm conversations with the alt-right. Like you just that doesn't happen you don't imagine that to happen
2: (laughs) yeah it makes me think a lot of uh, robert anton wilson which is he has one of my favorite quotes is uh perpetually agnostic so i try to view everything in life as perpetually agnostic that i'm perpetually agnostic towards it Um, it what's interesting about some of this to me is the idea of archetypes maybe as um, signposts or maybe like loose guides because, you know, as you're talking about getting away from beliefs, you don't want to necessarily follow one particular system, but you can use these archetypal uh, images to kind of help guide you. Do you think that there is maybe need in in our modern culture for some new archetypes to be created because we have all these warriors, kings, shamans, magicians? Do you think those really speak to the heart of all the different aspects of the human conditioner? Or maybe does the technology that we're getting involved with now demand maybe like a new myth or a new archetype to to help steer us through it we need new stories but those archetypes fit very well um you
0: can find shadow version of each of those archetypes in average behavior anywhere you look like and you can you can use it to kind of Point yourself in a direction that you want to go. If you're if you're active in a shadow or passive in a shadow in some way of any of the archetypes, you can you can use a framework to kind of occupy the the positive version of that. Um, so to me, it's more like recognizing that there are there's a state of consciousness that you can be in and that you can move to, and that what you think you are right now is not necessarily what you would be if you moved into another state. So if you're, for example, afraid of a situation you would channel the warrior archetype where it's that archetype is about courage and about will and about assertion and then you would use that to get something done in in an arena that you're afraid of so that would be an example i think but i think as far as the masculine archetypes go there's a lot of discouragement of the warrior and the king and that sort of stuff um and it's something that we especially men need to look at a lot more
1: i think that um the archetypes are actually not just culturally constructed they're biologically based because um they activate certain types of emotional responses and endocrine system and it's all very much like they they are sets of biological sensations and processes They're not just ideas, which I think a lot of misunderstanding is around that, that archetypes are just kind of culturally constructed ideas. Yes, they they do have that aspect, but they are really biologically based. And I I think that archetypes are actually pre-verbal sets of behavior that humans had before we had complex language and ideas. We just would get into a mode and would know how to act without really having to talk about it. So... That, is, that part is very ancient, and I don't think we can change that so easily, but we can just dress up those archetypes in different clothing that is appropriate for our, for our era.
0: So, l- let me just give you a comparison of all the four archetypes in, in states of very basic consciousness that anyone can recognize. The warrior is if you're challenged and you need to fight for something, or you need to assert your will, or you need to exercise discipline to get something done. It's about practice, it's about will. Um, in any situation where you are facing up against a challenge, that's probably a good one to use. The lover is in sex and it's in sense. So if you're in meditation, if you're kind of sitting and enjoying a nice sunny day, that's that would be the lover archetype. We recognize that state of being.
1: Creativity also comes yeah. from this
0: one. The magician is like figuring out how things work. So that in old, an older context, it would be figuring out how stars, you know, how they move. I don't know. I don't know if that's probably a bad example because I don't know shit about stars, but, you know, um, figuring out how your environment works, how to make tools, how to use those tools in the environment. And in our context, it would be learn how to program or something. That would be the magician architect. Uh, and then the king is basically the father. How do I take responsibility and how do I give to the people I'm responsible to and take care of them and protect them and bless them? So it's very recognizable. And I think Carl Jung did a lot of work to discover what the full range of human experience is. And he came up with those four for the masculine archetypes. And I, I don't think he would have left anything out. And I don't think technology changes it. I mean, technology, again, I know we're trying to focus a lot on technology, but it's just a tool and it just reflects what we are. And we have a big problem in our society, probably exacerbated by technology, of not understanding how we think.
1: Or what as we individuals
0: are. or as a society we don't know what we're doing here we're scared we we don't understand how our own minds work so yeah so i think that's probably a much better focus for us all to put our attention into
2: yeah i mean i think the personal growth is at the heart of everything that is important but it's also st- so fascinating to me just how much the feedback loop and how much technology kind of plays into our psyche and our society, you know, that the narratives trending online is are going to be the ones that you immediately have to reconcile with yourself. Like, is that trendy narrative one that I want to be a part of, or is that something that I'm going to step away from? Am I going to be one of the people who comments on the latest scandal and gets all worked up about it and spends the whole night talking about the pub? Or am I going to be like, reading a book and having a conversation about archetypes and Carl Jung, you know, like it's, it's very hard to escape the just insane influence of technology that UV was talking about with our phones and how wired we are into this data gathering device that literally is figuring out how to push our buttons via the advertisements and all the things that we're going to see on the street as we're going about our day-to-day lives and then somehow walk away from that very almost psychologically manipulative culture and paradigm and then step into a space where like, okay, now I can be me and that's gonna be okay. So to me, the relationship between the two is, is really hard to escape nowadays for a lot of people just because it seems like you can't really exist in modern society without somehow interfacing with technology in a really intense way.
0: I, I, I disagree to some extent. I agree to other extents. I just think it requires a lot of discipline to put the phone down and flick off the Wi-Fi. But once you're there, um, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of human experience to have. I mean, you can have better hygiene when it comes to technology. We don't have culture uh, teaching people how to do that quite yet. I I think another generation, I mean, we talk about the future a lot, but we don't necessarily recognize that how we teach our kids and how they interact with their future is going to be completely different. And we were not taught with any kind of culture, any lessons, any rites of passage about how to deal with technology because we didn't even have it until we were you know, midway through our childhood for our generation. So um, we just need to be aware of that when we're raising our children. But I don't think this... I don't think it's going to be that companies are in charge of innovation for the rest of human, the, the future of humanity. I think it's going to be decentralization of technology is going to increase. Um, I would love to see like a decentralized Facebook that wasn't optimized for attention, but instead optimized for connection. I would love to see a decentralized internet where advertising was something you opted into if you felt like it. Uh, where you weren't being forced into a personality profile because it's easier to sell you shit. So um I think sorry I'm not sure if we're allowed to swear a lot on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Do your thing. So, please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're all adults here. So, you know what I mean? Like
0: the 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 decentralized future is the one I'm excited about because it's where you and me make apps for each other and we we are not incentivized to screw with each other because we both own those apps. That's, that's the future I think is highly likely to occur and exciting. So a lot of these problems that we're facing right now are just because there's a middleman who's very interested in doing things for profit and attention and that sort of
2: stuff. Yeah. Maybe that's a, a good direction to go to kind of wrap this up. What, what is your ideal kind of looking future? I think blockchain
0: represents an idea that I'm really excited about. Decentralization, uh, or let's just say, distributed governance is what I'm most interested in, where we all just have more of a say in the way the world works and the way that companies work. and We all have ownership and a stake in the future instead of feeling like we're passive. That's, I think, highly likely. There's a big movement surrounding, and it's being labeled blockchain. I think there's,
1: it's highly likely to happen. Blockchain is kind of the, the embryonic iteration of whatever that is. It's yep. still very primitive. It has a lot of issues. It's slow. It's ineffective. Um, but whatever comes down the line, you know, blockchain 10.0 or whatever,
0: yeah.
1: that will probably be the thing.
0: I think Jeremy Rifkin says that he, he's got quite a, a good grasp over what the future looks like when it, when it comes to this, the sharing economy. Um, So I recommend checking out any of his books if you're interested in this stuff specifically. Awesome.
2: Well, we'll leave it there then. But I would love to let you two tell us about a little bit about this course before we sign off. Is it out officially now where people can sign up and check it out? Do you have more courses coming?
0: Um, I can't even imagine anything else we would want to teach. I think it's all in this course. Mm. Maybe in a couple of years we might, but this is like 10 years of work condensed and it's really looking out at the world trying to think what what experiences do people need to have in order to be a better functioning cell in the collective consciousness Uh, so that's really what that whole thing is about it stretches a lot of different into a lot of different topics and covers a lot of ground
1: and And, paradoxically being a good cell in collective consciousness means taking a shit ton of responsibility and having having you be sovereign and awake So it doesn't mean subverting your sovereignty to some sort of, you know, collective consciousness. Because sometimes people think, oh, crowds, you know, collective consciousness, the wisdom of crowds. That's stupid. (laughs) No, that's not what we're talking about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not like you know, yeah, the riot (laughs) kind of (laughs) consciousness. Yeah. So um, that's probably, I mean, that's that's a lot of work, and I I think we we have a good idea, and we follow a lot of people who are also thinking the same kind of things. Um, So I think we have a good idea of what what is going to be a functional state of consciousness for the average person in the future. Um, what, at least what tools they can use. So if anyone's interested, they can check that out at courses.futurethinkers.org.
1: Yeah. And currently we have, uh, two parts to the course. The first one's about sovereignty. The second one's about shadow work. And, uh, we're going to be continuously updating the courses and making them better.
2: Awesome. Mike, Yuvi. thank you so much for being a great mentors and, uh, guides and, having this nice broad conversation with me. Cool. Thanks for for having
1: having us. us.